2 Corinthians 12, verses 11 and 12. If you would please follow in the reading of the word of the Lord. Verse 11, I have become foolish, you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I'm a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul and his faithfulness. Father, may we be encouraged by it. And yet, Father, understanding that it was out of this man's humility that you used him exceedingly abundantly beyond what he could have ever thought or imagined. And yet, Father, the same is true for each of us. Father, may we have humble hearts. And may we have a desperation for knowing You, being close to You. And that, Father, that even in this life, this time that we have here on this planet, people would see only Christ in each of our souls. Thank You, my King, my Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We're looking at... Apostolic uniqueness. Okay. What was so unique about apostles? And I hear it a lot today that it is an ongoing office and it's not biblically. And I will hammer that again today that it is not an office. You can be sent out by a church and technically you will be a representative of that church. You will speak for that church and you are a messenger from that church. And technically, if you wanted to use the word apostolon, you could use it. All right. But what we're looking at here is a man in a unique situation. If you're truly honest with Scripture, all right, truly honest, there's only 13 of them. And there hasn't been any more. Paul never called Luke an apostle. Paul never called John Mark an apostle. Paul never called Timothy an apostle, nor Epaphroditus. But yet, Epaphroditus was sent out from Philippi, and he was called an apostle from the church of Philippi. The true office of apostle has, when we went through all these qualifications, I'm not going to go back through them all, but the key is they were called personally by the resurrected Christ. All right? But that is probably the key qualifications. I, you can say, okay, they were set aside by God. Well, yeah, but so were you and I. But I have not been called personally by the resurrected Christ. He did not show up in my bedroom, my bathroom, my car, or my garage and say, Terry. Okay? Because if he did, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'm gone. All right? So, but that's what I want us to remember. All right, you've got to know that. They also wrote Scripture. All right, but see, we are in a day and an age today that is kind of uh, mind-numbing if you think about it, is what we will believe. And, 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 and we don't ever question it because if we question it, all of a sudden we've become divisive. And the truth of the matter is, we need to question more. We need to question more. 
All right, because we have been given the book for a reason. And, and, I, and I, you'll see that unfold into today's message. Because I want to look at this because today I want you to look at the apostles' unique power. There in verse 12. He says it this way. The signs of a true apostle. Okay, you understand what he just said there? The miracles, the testimonies of a true apostle. What was it? How do I know an apostle is true? Easy. Signs and wonders and miracles. Very simple, very easy. That's not complicated. All right, now, you've got to go back to the original language to get what Paul's getting at here. He's not speaking. That first word there, you see signs of a true apostle. It literally can be translated miracles of a true apostle. All right. But he doesn't say, okay, signs, wonders, and miracles. That are three separate entities. All right. It is three aspects of the miracles done by an apostle. You get it? The signs, when you see that word, that is the awe. Okay? The wonders are that of the divine power being displayed. Okay? Why? And then a literal translation of the last word miracle could be mighty deeds. Mighty deeds. So he starts it off with the signs of an apostle. The miracles of an apostle had awe to him. All right? And I mean, this isn't, you know, well, that was kind of cool. No, they had awe to him. I'm going to show this to you today, hopefully. But I, I want you to think about it because then he moves from that to look at the display of divine power. Alright? That's awesome stuff. Why? And the man knew it. He knew it wasn't him. Listen, when I think about miracles, I think about supernatural. And the, the what the apostles did was supernatural. They were signs pointing to the apostles as genuine messengers of God. Okay? They were wonders of a great amazement. We call them signs and wonders. Well, signs means, whoa! Wonders is, whoa! Okay, you don't have to sit there and go, well, I think it was a magic trick. Alright? Will you raise the dead? You just can't. Let's see if I can fake that. Okay, you can't do that. All right. If you've got someone who has never walked in their entire existence and you tell them stand up and walk and they do it, you're going to go, whoa. Okay. And it is, it is, and it I'm not waiting for a healing service. I'm not waiting for positive confession. I'm not waiting for my faith to grow so I can do this. He just did it. 
They were wonders that created amazement, that astonished. The key is they would draw the onlookers' attention. The crowd, the masses would be there. And they would understand the message that was being proclaimed. And they understood that it was from God because of this power. Listen, I want you to understand something, and I'm going to make this as simple as I can. I am not going to give you all the research that I have done on this over the decades. But I'm going to tell you something that anybody has read the Bible, even in a cursory understanding, surely has seen this. But what I have found is, no, they haven't. If you read the Bible, if you were to take the time and just start at Genesis and read through to Revelations. Okay, don't exegete the text. I don't need you to worry about syntax. I don't care whether it's in the Hebrew or the Aramaic. I don't care what the parsing of the verbs are or the parsing of the adjectives, nor the nouns or pronouns. If you just read it, you will see that miracles are not normative. They don't have that often. And you will also see that there was not normal for the church. All right. It should be obvious because of the statement there in verse 12. The signs of a true apostle. That's Paul's statement. If they were commonplace, they would hardly have distinguished an apostle, would they? I mean, if everybody's doing signs, wonders, and miracles, then what makes you any different than the apostles? Ordinary believers? Really? It is very rare. Okay? And it was made to be a definite sign of an apostle. If Now then, expand that thinking for a second. If I look at redemptive history, alright? Redemptive history. Okay, what I mean by redemptive history is Genesis to Revelations. Alright? You will find that there are only three reasons for signs, wonders, miracles. Only three. Signs, wonders, and miracles. And you also find there were three specific periods. First is that when you see these three times of, of miracles, you will see that it showed an era of divine revelation. Divine revelation. If you look at the miracles that recorded in scriptures, when the, an individual called by God had supernatural abilities. Okay, and I'm not talking, you know, positive confession or sleight of hand. I'm talking intervening into the nature of existence and changing it. It took place three times when God was revealing divine revelation. All right. 
think how simple this is. Moses and Joshua. Okay, what was going on? God was revealing Himself. You have the giving of the Torah. Alright? Right? So you got Moses and Joshua. Then you have Elijah and Elisha. Right? What was going on? Well, I've got the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now I have what? The prophets. Alright? Then you have Christ and the apostles. What was going on? God was revealing salvation. And the New Testament. God proved by the giving of the law with some miracles at the time of Moses and Joshua. Why? This guy comes cruising back into Egypt. He's been hiding out in the wilderness being a shepherd. And he says, God sent me to come and get you. And the Jews are going to go, what? You got to be kidding me. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. Well, wait a minute. That was a few years before Moses. Okay. Why would I believe that? I don't know. Ask Pharaoh. He might have something else to say about it. You see the miracles that were done by Elijah and Elisha? Why? That's where the Old Testament revelation came from the prophets. Now then, I want you to understand this. In Matthew's Gospel... I've got a bunch of verses you're going to have to write fast. I'm not going to cover all of these because uh, it's pretty extensive. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to what? Fulfill. How did that come about? Who gave the law? Moses. Right? All right. Who gave us the prophets? Who told us we should listen to the prophets? Elijah and Elijah. Okay? Do not think that I have come to abolish them. All right? Just to hammer that point home, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 12. And Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 40. Jesus repeats, I have not come to discard the law and the prophets. The miracles God did through them proved that the prophets spoke for God Himself and the miracles that He did through Moses and Joshua proved that God was giving the law through this man Moses. Okay? Truth of the matter is, if you're honest with Scripture, in these two eras... There were very few miracles. There wasn't that many. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. You throw your stick down, I throw my stick down, and my stick turns into a snake and eats your snake. You know, you're still going, wow, dude. (laughs) 
Okay, you know, and frogs and fireballs out of heaven and things like that. You know, you're okay. All right. You know, this is, you know, parting of the Red Sea and watching Pharaoh's uh, army get drowned. You know, all right, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I walk around in the wilderness for 40 years and your shoes don't wear out. Hold up. I hear a stick and waterfall flows out of a rock. A few other odds and ends like that. You're going to sit there and go, hmm. All right. But if you're really honest with yourself, for the amount of time that I'm talking about with Joshua and, and, and Moses, there wasn't that many. Okay. The same happened with Elijah. Right. I mean, yeah, you got the prophets of Baal and you call fire out of heaven and burn them all up. You, you're sitting there watching it going, oh, did you see that? Okay. But then he heard that Jezebel was after him. And what did he do? Ran away. I just go give him another fireball. What's this? <laughs> I'm going to call this bowling for dollars. All right. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Now, raising the widow's dead son. All right. The greatest number of miracles ever given and shown and recorded in redemptive history happened at the time of Christ and the apostles. Now I want you to think about something for a second. This is key to this. Alright? There's never ever been a time ever since or will ever be again when you will have the degree and the number of miracles done than the time of Christ and the apostles. You know why? You ever thought about that? Think about it for a second. What was happening? God was changing everything. Everything. The penalty of sin will be paid and the bride of Christ will be born. That is, comp listen, think about this for a second. The temple will be destroyed in 70 AD and it's still not there. Who made the plans? Who was the architectural designer for the temple? God was. And it will be destroyed and I will do what? Build a different one. What is we call the church. If you go look and study Daniel's, go out listen to David Jeremiah, you'll see that between the 69th week of Daniel and the 70th week of Daniel, there's a gap. A mystery, the Apostle Paul calls it. You know what that is? The church. You're in it right now. But you know what is amazing to me? If I... Seen that God used this number of miracles and signs and wonders to stir up the whoa factor. Why don't we care about the church anymore and what we do? Because it sure does look to me like in the course of redemptive history, it is a little bit important to the Lord. And yet we take it for granted. The incarnation of the number two person in the Trinity was an explosion of redemption and the revealing of the new covenant, the New Testament. 
It birthed the church, which is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an amazing time for God to say, I want your undivided attention. I'm about to do something pretty awesome. And I would say that God's miracles during that time have never been equaled before or since. Miracles are super, now listen to this. Miracles are supernatural acts of God. Got it? Alright. But not all supernatural acts of God are miracles. Alright. Let me explain one for you. Supernatural act of God. Beyond nature. What is salvation? Why don't we ever look at that as a miracle? Because I got news for you. You couldn't do it on your own. In our text here, signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs is like, I'm pointing at something. Wonders is like, whoa! And miracles is divine power on display. These are supernatural acts done by God through a human agent. Why? That's the purpose. Why? To prove that the agent is a man of God. Is a messenger of God. Miracles were designed to act as a sign to create a wonder that drew people to conclude that the message of this man who performed this was sent by God. Wasn't that what happened with Moses and Joshua? Ain't that what happened with Elijah and Elijah? Ain't that what happened with Christ and the apostles? I'm seeing a pattern. God is showing His power. Listen, God shows His power. Look at creation. Okay? But you know what? He didn't have some guy walk up and say, Hey, you want to do this for me? I'll give you the power. Okay? Listen, the flood is an awesome... Look at God's power. Okay? But I don't think he drew a bunch of signs and wonders. I don't think people were saying, Oh, I think God's mad at me. And I stand in awe. No, they tried to tread water. Sodom and Gomorrah. What sign and what wonder? But nobody saw it. Why? Lot's wife turned around. That wasn't real smart. So you see what I'm trying to get at? It's not signs and wonders. Um, when I see signs and wonders, I think of it as a different category, uh, a subcategory of God's supernatural acts. God does a lot of amazing things every day. I mean, when we talk about the natural, who invented that? Just the natural order of things. Who did that? Well, that's an amazing thing if you think about it. You sort of go, whoa. You kind of stand in awe. God gave Moses miraculous power to prove that the Israelites 
that Moses was God's messenger. You can see that originally in the book of Exodus chapter 4, but I'm going to go over to Acts chapter 7, a great message given by an awesome dude. 7, verse 36. During his message, he starts at Genesis and cruises through. And he says, this man, speaking of Moses, led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness for 40 years. Man preaching that message right there is the first Christian martyred. Stephen. Exodus, Moses wrote it down himself. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Elijah's ability to call down fire from heaven showed that he was God's man. I'll let you go look it up. 1 Kings 18, 36 to 38. 2 Kings 1, verses 10 and 12. He also raised the widow's dead son. 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. Back to the book of Acts. Chapter 2. Peter at Pentecost. Verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazareth, a man attested you by God. How was he attested by God? How did he show him? Miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. Okay, I've got a whole bunch of homework for you. Ready? Start writing. Mark chapter 6, verse 2. 6-2 of Mark, Luke 19-37, John's Gospel, 3 verse 2, 5 verse 36, 7 verse 31, 10 verse 25 through 38, 11 verse 47, 12 verse 37, 14 verse 11. See what I'm trying to get at here? There is a lot of miracles going on. A lot of miracles going on. And then of course there's Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Gentiles hear the good news from the Apostle Peter. You know of this Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And the apostles were proven in the same way. The writer of Hebrews, it's a warning actually, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, how will we escape, escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, once it heard, 
both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to keep a, uh, keep a, an eye on that text. That's a key text. Okay, We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but I can tell you this. They had heard. This writer had heard. All right. Remember that text. Remember that text, because we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. But just to verify that this was going on in the apostles, let me give you some scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Acts chapter 4, verse 30. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Acts 14, verse 3. Acts 15, verse 12. Acts 19, verse 11. You see what I'm trying to get at here? I'm not going to read all of these. But what I'm starting to say is, this was normal for the apostles and Christ. Why? Because God was giving a brand new level of awe factor. I have something new. I have something you're not expecting. I have something that is between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel is going to rock your creation. Paul said the very same thing to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Okay, now listen. The book of Acts doesn't tell us of the miracles Paul did in Corinth. Doesn't mention it. But it is clear that he did miracles in Corinth. Why? Verse 12. It says, The signs of a true apostle was shown in front of you by signs, wonders, and miracles. God uses miracle to reveal truth of Himself to those who see them. Alright? God shows Himself. You can see it in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and Exodus 34, verse 10. Nehemiah speaks of the miracles done to prove to the Jews to follow Moses. Look at what I've done to Pharaoh in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 10. King David speaks of the miracles done through Moses in Psalm 135, verse 9. Jeremiah preparing for captivity speaks of the miracles done by God through Moses. In Jeremiah 32.20. Okay, so I want you to think about this for a second. Because when you think about miracles, and I'm talking about people that God uses in unique ways. The apostles were unique. The apostles were highly privileged in the history of the church. They were the foundation for the church. But that office of apostle is no longer needed. Acts chapter 5, verse 16. The people of the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were being healed. All the sick who came to the apostles were changed. Every last one of them. They were healed. But you know something that is amazing? 
as you come to the conclusion of the Apostle Paul's life, things start changing. All right? As he is finishing up his race, things start changing. Paul had a beloved son in the faith, a precious man. I have no other like him, Paul said, speaking of him. His name was Timothy. Beloved son in the faith, and I have no one else serving with me like Timothy. Okay? Timothy had some um, recurring stomach problems. Remember what I just read in chapter 5? All who were affirmed came and got healed. Timothy had some stomach problems. Paul didn't heal him. You know what Paul did? Take a little wine for your stomach. Why didn't he heal him? Dude, you're healing everyone else. Paul had another companion. Trophius. Trophius. And Paul left him sick in Meltilus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Didn't heal him either. What's going on? I want to show you something. You guys stay with me on this. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all within one accord in Solomon's portico. That's like the entranceway to the temple. Okay? But you know what strangely happens in the book of Acts? Do you know that the book of Acts records no miracles in the city of Jerusalem after Stephen is martyred? Doesn't happen in Jerusalem anymore. What's Jerusalem? It's the first church. And after they kill Stephen, what happens? Well, I've heard that. So I went and looked at it. You know, everybody took off. They're killing us. Let's get, let's get out of Dodge. But Acts chapter 6, verse 8 says this. Speaking of Stephen, he was full of grace and power, performing great signs and wonders of the people. And it's kind of amazing because most people say, well, what happened is, is the apostles understood that they could kill the church. So all of the apostles left. And that's kind of funny because they did kill Stephen. They stoned him and a great uprising came against them. Paul started heading up the arresting of them. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul was in hearty agreement about doing this. And it says that on, the, on that day, a great persecution began of the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
except the apostles. Hmm. And they were the ones doing the signs and the wonders. And they didn't leave Jerusalem. They did eventually. Go over to Acts chapter 12. Six and following. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck. I think this is funny. The angel pokes Peter, pokes Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you, around you and follow me. And he went out and he continued to follow. And he did not know what was being done by an angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate that leads into the city. And when they opened it by itself and it went out and, and it went along the street and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he says, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. You know what he just said? <laughs> I'm invincible! <laughs> what are you going to do? You chain me up, you guard me, and the angel comes and sets me free. Now then, I want you to know this. Nearly all of the apostles, we have historical evidence, were martyred. They were killed. Okay? Remember the text I showed you in Hebrews chapter 2, 3 and 4? You know what's amazing about that verse that nobody pays attention to? He's speaking of the testimony of the apostles, and it's all written past tense. Fascinating, don't you think? They're not there. So the life of an apostle and their miracles were passing away. So when you look at their qualifications and their foundational role in God's plan for the church, it made the apostles unique. Okay? They laid a solid doctrinal foundation for the church. They fulfilled God's plan. They passed. And guess what? There is no need for them to be replaced. The apostles did signs, wonders, and miracles not for the norm of the church. It was for the time of the writing of the New Testament and to set the foundation. What is the foundation? Scripture. It is the writing of the apostles. It is complete. 
Which brings me to my conclusion, because I want us to think about this. I'm trying to get us to understand, and I've given you enough verses that you should have a headache by now. The amazing awe and wonder of the body of Christ, the church, freaked Paul out. It was nothing like he anticipated, and he was a man of the book, the Old Testament. And he never saw it. Jew and Gentile together? Are you out of your mind? Guess what? Jew and Gentile together. Not only am I out of my mind, Paul, you're going to take the message to the Gentiles. It was miraculous. It was a miracle. It was beyond supernatural. It is a sign of awe. But he isn't done. Jude, verse 3, Beloved, I am making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Who handed it down? The apostles. The apostles. And what does he say do with it? Contend earnestly. You know what the word contend means? Fight. Fight once and for all. Revelations chapter 22 verse 18 says that the word of God will stand forever. Do not add to nor take away or the plagues of this book will be multiplied on you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never. Why don't we have a passion? He did signs and wonders to validate the authors of this book. He always did. I do signs and wonders through Moses. Look, you got the law. I do signs and wonders through Elijah and Elijah. You've got the prophets. I've done signs and wonders through Christ, your Savior, and His apostles. And you have the New Testament. Why do you not stand in awe? We should be going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And yet, look how cavalier we are. I will conclude with this. Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. Second Timothy chapter three, sixteen and seventeen. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, so that the man of God 
may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So you see, brothers and sisters, you have been blessed by the work of the apostles. They had unique qualifications and unique powers. And we should not take them for granted because the Word of God is inspired by God. And now we are adequate for every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the Apostle Paul. Thank You, Father, for Your plan. Um, you're awesome. I pray that my brothers and sisters will stand in awe of Your book. They'll be overwhelmed. That, Father, they will stand understanding the greatest privilege ever to humanity is to be a part of the Bride of Christ. Father, let us be overwhelmed. Father, let us, let us be as those who saw Your miracles stand in awe. Thank You, my King, my Lord, my Savior. In Christ's name, Amen.